You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hello, hello. Great to be with you today. I have a special guest in studio with me, which I will introduce in just a minute. We'll be talking about things such as the theory of being born that way. Is that true? We mentioned a gene study a couple of weeks ago talking about how that theory has been disproved. So I have a specialist here with me who will break that study down. We'll also dive into the topic of the idea that you can't change, that that's not possible. In fact, this goes intrinsically against what the Catholic Church teaches, the idea of freedom. So we'll discuss that coming up. In the meantime, I just wanted to throw thoughts out there for a second. Some of you may have been following the story with Kanye West. You know, he released his new album, Jesus is King. He has uh, been talking about abortion, plan B, pornography, sex addiction, modesty. This man is having a major conversion in the Thanks to a little too intimate of a show that's keeping up with the Kardashians and his album, we're getting to see this up close and personal. My guest today is Dr. Laura Haynes. Dr. Laura Haynes has an incredible background. She is a psychologist and researcher. She's retired from a, being a practicing psychologist, but her research has led her to be quite the activist and testi- really testifying before legislative hearings. She's been working internationally, trying to make an incredible impact on the topic of sexuality and orientation that has absolutely been destroying young people's minds in the school system and in public media. So welcome to the show, Dr. Laura Thank Haynes. you, Timory. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. It's wonderful to have you. Now, quick thoughts. Have you followed this Kanye West story at all? I'm sorry. I'm very proud of my <laughs> media public Stories, ignorance. (laughs) As a psychologist, I'm sure one thing kind of all throw in your direction, surprising you here, bringing it up. So Kanye West has had this major conversion. He's a rapper. He's married to Kim Kardashian. And he ends up having this conversion to Christianity that's unrolling. He's looking at his wife, expecting her to dress more modestly, which we know Kim Kardashian is not the most modest of dressers. And he comes out talking about how he's had this porn addiction and this sex addiction, essentially. He outright calls it a sexual addiction and says that he himself was turning to sex to help him, for example, moments after his mother died in other situations, which is common in your line of work that you've seen as well. So proud of this man for being so bold and brave to help so many people with his story. Absolutely. So that'll tie in in many ways to what we're talking about over the next couple of weeks. Today, I want to dive in with Dr. Laura Haynes. Your work has been incredible, really helping to bring to the forefront understanding this new gay gene theory that has disproved the idea that there's a gay gene. We saw in the Science Magazine, essentially, coming from the journal of the American Association for Advancement. Can you dive in and unpack this for us? Sure. I'd love to. It's what I came to do. (laughs) (laughs) And it's such an important question because political activists who are writing the bills to ban a person's right to therapy to help them live in accordance with their faith and activists who are um, behind these bills are using the argument that LGBT identity uh, cannot change and does not need to change. Mm. We've known this is false. 
for a quarter of a century through research. And they have been told to knock it off because it's going to come back to bite them. But they're still using it because the public believes it. And they're lying. It's working for them. But the public needs to, be, needs to catch on to this. So, and, it, and it's a harmful lie. But if people believe that you cannot change, that LGBT feelings cannot change, then, of course, they think, well, they couldn't change through therapy, right? And the trying to would be harmful. But it's a, it's a falsehood. So they've I, been using this research, such as the false idea that there's a gay gene, to try and force forward their agenda, but there's never been proof for this. No, never. And we've known for a quarter of a century it's not true. And I know of no professional organization that says it's true or that says LGBTQ feelings are simply biologically determined. Uh, and I want to say something about that and then dive into this study. So the American Psychological Association has a handbook called the APA Handbook of Sexuality and Psychology, published in 2014. They've given their imprimatur to this handbook. They've declared it authoritative. There's no question they consider it authoritative. And the APA handbook says, we are far from identifying potential genes that may explain not just male homosexuality, but also female homosexuality. No gay gene. Did any, everyone hear that? That was a 2014 handbook, and people like to point to the American Psychological Association because they've done some wishy-washy stuff legislatively in terms of practices they've encouraged, yet their handbook goes against some of the ideas they've been pushing forward. The same year the handbook came out, the chief counsel for the APA uh, published, she published a report that that year she published nine briefs in courts saying giving accurate scientific information about homosexuality, including that it's resistant to change. And what the API handbook says is not only not born that way, but it also changes. So, yes, you cannot trust what your mainstream professional organizations are telling you about LGBT experiences these days. Well, and also, if I'm not mistaken, the American Psychological Handbook that you're referring to also emphasizes that if you were to act as if someone can't change, you're not addressing underlying issues, trauma, and severe things that are harming that person who is experiencing same-sex attraction in other areas. Exactly. And I want to touch on all those points you've just put on the table. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, our research tells us the genetic contribution to same-sex attraction is less than the genetic contribution to being divorced or smoking, things that are considered changeable, including through therapy. Mm. Now, that gene study you were talking about, MIT and Harvard researchers looked at the entire genomes of nearly half a million people, and they found that there is no gay gene. There's no gene that makes someone gay, and you cannot predict from someone's genes whether they will be homosexual. They did find a lot of genes that had a little contribution, which together added up to accounting for 8 to 25% of the factors that go towards influencing sexual orientation. But it's not possible to predict that someone will be homosexual from them. And not all the genes were about sex. They were about psychological behaviors and mental health disorders. Like they're about smoking, cannabis use, risk-taking, and openness to experience. Or they were about mental health disorders, such as depression. 
So what you're saying here is that all of these things that you hear people such as Father James Martin, who has been a quote unquote champion of gay rights and trying to influence the church, saying that, you know, the church acknowledges that people can't change or born this way. And when he looks at this study, he takes those slight little elements that you say is less likely for you to have a gene influence to be divorced or to smoke than to experience same sex attraction. And he's saying these things that point more so toward mental illness, substance abuse and risky behavior. Well, there's your gay gene that you see. And he's looking at it from that perspective. But you're saying, no, it's actually the reverse. Well, there are some of the genes were related to sex hormones. And we don't know what that means. But if it means that potentially that, say, maybe a, a, a baby boy might be born a little less masculine, the researchers say that it's still whatever it is that these genes mean, we don't know fully know, whatever it turns out to mean, it does not make someone homosexual. Mm-hmm. And all of the genes taken together, they think there are more they couldn't find because their con- contribution is so infinitesimal, they were hard to find with even a half million people. But the, all the genes taken together, and we know this from twin studies, these researchers agree, agreed with it, all the gene influence together is about 32% of the factors that influence sexual orientation, not determining you're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Dr. Laura Haynes. She is a retired practicing psychologist, but now she is a researcher testifying before legislative committees and internationally influencing the realm of psychology with regard to the fact that you can change and you can live according to your biological reality and even identify with your faith and you're free to live as you wish. We'll dive into that more. But Dr. Haynes, when you say there's this 34, 35% influence, can you break that down? Because I think a lot of people don't understand what that percentage than means. Well, it means about a third of the factors that go into um, developing same-sex attraction, only about a third of them have to do with genes. Okay. And you're saying then that third from there, it's not necessarily that it's a gene for same-sex attraction. It's not a gene to be gay. No. It's a gene linking certain things with mental illness, with maybe obsessive compulsive disorders, with various things that lead you toward riskier behavior. Right. And it may maybe uh, contributes towards a, a boy being a little less masculine, which does not mean he'll be homosexual at all. It does not mean that. So majority of the causes of homosexuality have come from experiences in the environment such as the fraternal birth order effect that people talk about. Wonderful. Now, I imagine we're going to dive a little deeper into the fraternal birth order a little later on. In the meantime, people are looking at this study. Many people have come out saying that this is conclusive. This is the end of the gay gene debate. There's no Mm -hmm. gay gene. And we have people such as Andrea Ghana, who's been working in genetics. She is working behind organizations such as Harvard, MIT, and others. And she's saying there's no gay gene to determine the behavior of people today. Yet people look at the study and say, Mm, it's not enough. Can you talk about the solidity of the research that's been done? And there is so much research. This isn't. This is just the most definitive one that we have. We know from twin studies that there is no gay gene. If you put a hundred sets of identical twins in a room, every pair of twins will be the same sex. If one's male, the other's male. If one's female, the other's female. In every set of identical twins, because. Sex is determined by genes and prenatal hormones, but sexual orientation is not. 
We'll be coming back with Dr. Laura Haynes. We'll be diving deeper into the topic of, quote unquote, born that way and can't change. We believe in freedom. We believe in faith and being able to live according to your faith. So it's important that we're able to better understand these recent studies and how to dialogue on the issue. We'll be right back on Trending with Dr. Laura Haynes. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. We're back with my guest, Dr. Laura Hain. She's a retired psychologist, researcher now, and has had a heavy influence both nationally and internationally on sexual orientation. You can learn more about her and her work at our website, radiotrending.com. She'll also be joining us for another episode talking about what we can do to dive into the activism to support not just traditional marriage, but the freedom to search for your psychological practices according to your faith and to heal and find that transformative care that we are so for in the Catholic Church. So Dr. Laura Haynes, let's dive a little bit more into the twin study and why this research was good coming out of the latest information about this no gay gene that they're saying is the end of the debate. Right. So in the twin studies, we know that that if we have identical twins in 100% of 100 pairs of identical twins every one every pair will be the same sex because sex is biologically determined by genes and prenatal hormones and it cannot change but if one has same sex attraction or behavior only in 14 of the pairs does the other one also have same sex attraction or identity or behavior. 14 pairs out of how many? Out of 100. Okay, so 14 pairs out of 100 both mutually had the same sex attraction. The rest of them, just one experienced the same sex attraction. So usually if one identical twin has same sex attraction, the other one usually does not. That's one of the reasons we know that the genetic contribution is very small. It's not zero, but it's only 14% mm-hmm. of pairs. Um, and also, by the way, if one is uh, living as the opposite sex, the other one usually is not also. So same thing with transgender issues same as well. Same thing and the same thing with um, a gender nonconforming behavior. Mm-hmm. So they are not biologically determined. Excellent. So there may be contributions, but not, nothing that, that determines. So this is the research that we've emphasized for years when you've had people such as Whitehead and others coming forward with, there's a gay gene, there's this connection. No, it's not because we see in twin studies, it's not happening. But here, did they incorporate a lot of the twin study into this new research? This new research referred to the those studies, okay. twin and family studies, and agreed with them that the contribution uh, taken all together comes to about... 32%. Okay, in total. In so there's total. a possible 32% biological influence. Gene, genetic gene, influence. Genetic influence over mm-hmm. this uh, quote-unquote a theory that people have say, said you're born gay. Now let's dive into that a little bit more. You practicing in your work as a psychologist for over 40 years, I'm sure that you crossed over into this realm the entire time. It was an area of specialty for you. Now, did you see from your psychological work that indeed there may be, so we know that there can be some small influence, but it's not what determines if someone will have same-sex attraction or not. Have you seen that freedom to live according to a heterosexual lifestyle, even if they experience some sort of same-sex influence? 
Well, yes. Uh, I'm, I found over my experience over the years that when I saw someone who experienced same-sex attraction, whether or not change was a goal of therapy, I just did therapy with people. I just look, just talked with them about their concerns, mm-hmm. whatever trauma or family wounds or, or bullying they, or whatever they experienced that left pain in their life. And I just help, I just help them with that. And as we just go about the process of healing those things that may have impacted their sexual attraction, I watched in most cases or many cases, sexual attraction decrease or fall away. So, yes. So when you focus on healing a person and their experiences, not focusing on just the attraction, I think that's part of the problem. When we just focus on the attraction, we forget that there's a whole lot more going on. And I think of it similarly with the abortion issue. When a girl comes in looking to have an abortion, which alone is such a difficult psychological decision to get to that point that you've kind of pulled yourself down to that level. You've pulled your unborn child down to that level. Same thing there. We saw that often it was other outside influences, self-esteem issues, abuse issues, both physical abuse, substance abuse, uh, family origin issues that influenced her getting to that point to live a certain lifestyle of either having some sort of sexual addiction or choosing an abortion. Same thing with same sex attraction. You're free to choose. You're free to choose your behavior. You may not be able to free to choose some of your feelings that come from wounds, but you are free to pursue healing. And the, the APA Handbook of Sexuality and Psychology actually acknowledges there are psychoanalytic causes and child abuse causes. Now, what that means, psychoanalytic uh, causes, it means that it means family ex- relationships as the child experiences them from the child's perspective that can have influences, and we certainly see that when we do counseling, at least I do, and those who are open to seeing it that way. And the APA Handbook acknowledged childhood sexual abuse has associative and potentially causal links to having same-sex partners. They based it on a review of research that included a 30-year study of documented cases of childhood sexual abuse. Wow. So they are showing there is study information out there that when there's sexual abuse, there is issues with same-sex attraction, gender identity disorder, and further confusion that even swings into the entire transgender movement that we're seeing so prevalent today. And I really would like to say something about the social causes. I really want want to, that to be included here. Absolutely. Um, there was a, a study of women over 10 years, women who had LGB uh, feelings and uh, identity. And uh, the researcher found that there could be two women at the beginning of this 10-year study who had same-sex attraction and strongly so. But at the end of 10 years, we'd be in a different place. One would have settled with a woman. The other would be married to a man. Interesting. And what happened in between? Well, one stayed in her lesbian group, had relationships with women. Her opposite sex interest decreased. Her same sex interest increased. The other woman left her LGBTQ uh, social network in college, went out into a male-dominated career, had relationships with men, and her same-sex attraction decreased, her opposite-sex attraction increased. So social environment, social context, is a factor that influences sexuality for some, especially those who are attracted to both sexes and especially for women. 
Well, if somebody goes into gay-affirming gay therapy or change-affirming therapy, those are social contexts that could influence the direction of change. And in school, if you put children in LGBTQ clubs and uh, affirmative education, that is a social context that could lock some children in for life who otherwise would have changed. We know from research that of those who are attracted to both, most, most people are attracted to both sexes, most people who are attracted to the same sex are also attracted equal and greater uh, to an equal or greater amount to the opposite sex. So they're often identified as bisexual, or mostly heterosexual. Okay, mostly the, heterosexual. The sexual or largest sexual orientation, larger than L, G, and B combined, largest sexual orientation nobody knows about. Now, this is interesting for those who have been with us before here on Trending with Timory. Dr. Laura Haynes is here today, and I was introduced to you by Michael Gasparro. And Michael Gasparro and I have talked on the show here about how people talk about sexual fluidity all the time. But why is it that someone who experiences same-sex attraction can't see those same-sex attraction feelings dissipate and swing more in the direction toward heterosexuality. It's only in the world right now that we believe, well, sexual sexuality is fluid only if you're going in the direction of same-sex attraction. And culturally, we won't accept that actually there's a healing process and influence, say, like you're saying, for someone who as a child maybe was sexually abused and then from there maybe hides out within the same-sex community, the LGBTQ community, they are being influenced from having those heterosexual relationships. Even uh, have pressure put on them not to leave in some cases. Mm -hmm. But the best research we have on sexual, sexual orientation change in America found that most people, as I said, who experience same-sex attraction by far also experience opposite-sex attraction and their sexual attraction is fluid. And among those who are equally attracted to both sexes, those are the bisexuals, 75% experience change over the six years of the study. Well, no, I'm sorry, 43% altogether and half the women experience change. But of the bisexuals who experience change, 75% change toward or to heterosexuality. Interesting. So you're saying that more so the women change back toward heterosexuality more so, but overall between male and female it was about 43% of both men and women. I would, uh, they found that overall, including those who are exclusively same-sex attracted overall, among 43% uh, of men experienced shift and 50% of women, and among all of them overall, when changes were two-thirds of them were toward or to heterosexuality. Two-thirds of them. Yes. Wow. That is something that you do not hear very often. So people in this study, a six year long study, they showed that those who experienced same sex attraction, two thirds of them shifted toward identifying with more heterosexual identity. Uh, almost. It's 43 percent of men and half the women, 50 percent of women experienced a shift. But of those who experienced a shift two-thirds of the changes were toward or to heterosexuality. Okay, okay that makes sense. Yes, I see that now. Mm -hmm. So you're saying the majority were shifting toward heterosexuality, not in the opposite direction. Right. Most changes were toward alignment with our bodies. Yeah. 
and how our bodies were oriented. Here's what's interesting. We have just a few seconds here coming up. I'd like to come back in on this, but you're talking about how people who experience same-sex attraction, when they're put into a group that is pro-LGBTQ and same-sex oriented, that that has an influence. It makes me think right now we live in a culture where marriage is becoming an anomaly, and it's no wonder. We are fed in a culture that divorce is the norm why even get married we are seeing the current generations are the first generations to see multiple generations now of divorce we don't live in a pro-marriage culture so why would you get married well if you experience same-sex attraction and you're put into that community why would you choose to change we'll be right back on trending and diving into the topic of can't change You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. A shout out to our sponsors here for Trending. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. It's an alternative to some of the challenges people experience right now with finding medical insurance. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose a doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity is the only health care sharing ministry that shares in NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. For more information, visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. Again, that's SolidarityHealthShare.org. My guest today is Dr. Laura Haynes, and we're talking earlier about the gay gene theory and that there is no such thing. You're not born that way. We're going to be diving a little later on into the topic of can't change. Dr. Laura Haynes is a retired psychologist, and she's now held a high level of expertise within the realm of research having to do with sexual identity. She has testified before legislative hearings across the nation and has been doing incredible work internationally. Dr. Haynes, can we talk a little bit about the topic of transgenderism and just this major theme that eight years in the making has suddenly swept the nation that instead of having an eating disorder, kids are now coming out as transgender when they're struggling. Yes, what what an enormous trend we've seen. Uh, there's a study study of members of Kaiser Permanente a metal, uh, Insurance Health in Georgia and California that found that over a six-year period, the number of transgender children and adolescents grew by 800 to 1,100%. Wow. So among, can you just repeat that again? So young, high school, or Children and adolescents. Children and adolescents. Identifying as transgender increased over a six-year period from, from 2006 to 2014. 800 to 1,100%. Wow, 800 to 11%. And I say this all the time. I'd love your thoughts for a second. I know this is off topic. It used to be that it was an eating disorder that kids experienced sometimes to get attention or maybe when they were struggling with esteem issues. I feel like transgenderism is the modern day eating disorder. I think that's happening, but there are also other causes um, among, and I, I think they're really worthwhile and very important to, for us to look at. I really want to share those Yes, Other causes. Those are we're talking about the social causes that are influencing uh, a movement, as you're referring to. But there are also other causes that are so important. So the APA handbook 
says that um, a gender nonconforming identity, the, the causes are likely a complex interaction of biological and environmental factors or experience, life experiences, as we've talked about with sexual orientation, same thing here with gender identity. And 10 professional organizations agree transgender identity has social environmental causes. It's not just caused by genes, prenatal hormones, or brain structures. And the handbook says there can be a family of origin uh, dynamics or experiences that can lead to a transgender or nonconforming identity. The World Professional Association for Transgender Health says uh, in their standards of care, gender dysphoria may be secondary to or better accounted for by other diagnoses. And this Kaiser study I referred to says that children and adolescents who have a gender nonconforming identity have lots of other diagnoses mm -hmm. which precede the onset of their nonconforming gender identity. This is the new thing the Kaiser study found. When did the Kaiser study come out? Uh, it was published in 2018. 2018. Okay, so this is a newer piece of research. Yes. So this is emphasizing that the transgender identity, the gender nonconforming, comes after other psychological issues going on. So are you saying, for example, wounds within the home? Are you pointing to other forms of mental illness? Well, um, both. Both, okay. The Kaiser talks study talks about other forms of mental illness. We also know that LGBT people experience much higher rates of child abuse and adverse child experiences in their family and in their home. But this study was talking about psychiatric disorders that preceded, and it said 70 to 71% of the adolescents had a pre-existing psychiatric diagnosis, and most of those... For most of them, that those psychiatric diagnoses were in force the six months before onset. And the, the rates of prevalence of these disorders were so much higher than for adolescent boys and girls who were not gender nonconforming that the, the comparisons, they were, they were moderately to astronomically higher rates wow. of both di psychiatric disorders and hospitalizations for psychiatric disorders. And they're and going the, and ignored, would you say? Yes, they're being ignored. People go into uh, somebody and a parent calls up on the phone, my child is feeling that they are the other sex or something else. And the therapist says, oh, fine, I'll give you the letter. When you arrive, you can take it to the doctor and to the clinic and get the sex change hormones or whatever. Not even having met the child, or they meet the, meet the person, and the person says, "Well, I was sexually abused. I've uh, I had a relative who really loved me as a person of the opposite sex, not my own sex, or, or uh, other, or I was had bullying or other experiences that I think are related to this." And the therapist says, "Oh, it doesn't matter. Go get the sex change. Everything will be fine. All these disorders will go away." Well, the Kaiser study is saying we need to treat these other disorders. And, and this is the same rate of, of disorders we find in five European countries. So we need to treat them. Now, a study in Sweden found that the rates of hospitalization for other disorders, not gender nonconforming, mm -hmm. persisted at the same rate at, uh, 10 years later after they had, they had hormone and surgery or whatever kind of body changing 
treatment. So this is what's interesting. We are just at the cusp where the last couple of years we've been suddenly pro-sex re- hormone replacement therapy, pro-sex change. If you do not understand what a sex change is, I'm asking you to go back, listen to the episode we did about a month ago with Dr. Patrick Lappert, where we talk about what top sur- surgery is, what bottom surgery is, what the different elements are. You guys, I had people who I thought understood this topic through and through contacting me saying I had no idea. We've been referring to this hormone replacement and sex change therapy as child abuse. But here I think is where it goes even deeper. The child abuse is taking place on the level of the fact that we are disregarding psychiatric disorders and whether the child has the sex change or even the adult has a sex change or receives a hormone replacement therapy we're still about eight to ten years out my mom was saying this to me recently before all of a sudden those people come back and turn around and have either a committed suicide or saying I still don't have the help I need because there was more going on and no one helped me Exactly. Exactly. Ten years out, the rates of suicide are 19 times higher than for non-transgenders. So a short study of a year or five years isn't going to get it. It ha- It's 10 years out when it really comes home. Um, and what was it? I think National Geographic magazine came out in, what, 2015 with that little boy who was dressed as a little girl on the front. I think it was 2015. So let's kind of mark that. Let's go five years forward. That was when it started to become the norm, right around 2014, 15, where we were seeing this as mainstream for pe- for young children to start receiving this change. So we're not going to see the full ramification and accurate research, as you're saying, for a few years here still. Yes, and I I think that there probably are going to be lawsuits. I think people are going to be very, Mm -hmm. very unhappy that we have evidence that the adolescents and their parents are not being told that this kind of treatment leads to loss of fertility, loss of sexual function, Mm -hmm. loss of sexual organs uh, on the top and on the bottom. Mm It leads to two to two and a half times higher rates of cancers, deaths from cancers, and heart disease, and this higher rate of suicides, 19 times higher. And meanwhile, the persisting psychiatric disorders go on at 28%, uh, 280% higher than for the those who are not gender nonconforming. It does not cure uh, psychiatric disorders and. For some people, it does not give relief from gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Now, this is another interesting part that I've heard. People have, from the LGBTQ community, acknowledged, okay, the sex change and the hormone replacement therapy, that's not ultimately giving me what I want, you know, but I still want the freedom to have it. And you're seeing a lot of the same arguments from the Roe v. Wade <laughs> decision and the right to abortion, right? The right to privacy, the freedom to choose. The same ideology is there. But what's sad is that in this quote unquote right that they're advocating for, it's actually creating a norm in state legislation across the nation. We'll get into that in another episode we're doing today uh, where people are being led to believe or being forced into this mindset that you can't change. It's so important to get back to actually treating the disorders. And people say, well, the disorders are caused by the therapy or they're caused by the stigma of being transgender. Well, a therapy cannot cause the disorders that preceded its on the onset of the problem. So you're saying the therapy cannot 
could not have caused the disorders that preceded the onset mm-hmm. of the gender nonconformity. So you're saying they were already there. This is what the Kaiser study has shown. This is what research, not just in Kaiser, but you said I think six other countries have confirmed that there are underlying psychiatric disorders prior to the transgender identity. Exactly. So I'd like to dive in in the next segment. We'll talk a little bit more about the research behind the topic of a can't change. But in the meantime, to think about this in the context of a Catholic worldview. To have dignity means to have value. That means to be that we have intellect and we have free will. We can come to know something and freely choose it. When people are saying you can't change, people are saying that you're born this way, that goes, this goes intrinsically against the Catholic worldview that we can know something and orient ourselves according to that truth and live by it, that we have freedom. And so we are called to be beacons of hope and of truth and of light in a culture that is saying that you cannot change your behavior, who you are and what you struggle with. We'll be right back here on Trending. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. My guest today is Dr. Laura Haynes. She's a retired psychologist and is making waves on the topic of sexuality, gender disorder, dysphoria, and so forth, both nationally and internationally, as she's testifying before legislative hearings and really working to bring the research to the forefront. So we're going to dive into some of the research behind the American Psychological Association on this topic of change from whether it's transgender identity disorder or same-sex attraction. Right. Uh, As we know, activists are, as we speak, telling legislators that LGBT identity cannot change and doesn't need to. Well, I think they have a right to decide that for themselves, but not for everyone else. They are taking away the rights of their brothers and sisters. But um, it's not true that the, the change cannot happen. And in fact, the APA Handbook of Sexuality and Psychology, which the American Psychological Association has declared authoritative, says sexual attraction, behavior, and orientation identity, all three, change for adolescents and adults. And it makes some very stunning statements. These statements are made in every chapter that deals with the issue by world-class researchers in sexual orientation. And it's not just the United States. It's not just the American Psychological Association. This research is backed up internationally and has been since the beginning of the sexual revolution to today. Abundant studies that are robust and international back this up. So what they say in the APA handbook, over the course of life, individuals experience the following changes or fluctuations in sexual attractions, behaviors, and romantic partnerships. Although change in adolescence and emerging adulthood is understandable, change in adulthood contradicts the prevailing view of consistency in sexual orientation. Research on sexual minorities has long documented that many recall having undergone notable shifts in their patterns of sexual attractions, behaviors, or orientation identities over time. We've known this since a study in 1994, for sure, which was a robust study. That was a quarter of a century ago. So why do you think there's such a denial of these studies? Because even 
mainstream media, you know, you mentioned the Kaiser Permanente study that came out last year. I think we might have touched on it briefly on the show, but you didn't hear about this in most media outlets. You're not hearing this discussed in, let's say, current legislative hearings, unless someone like yourself is willing to step forward and say, no, the research is here, not from religious institutions, but from secular institutions with major names and universities behind it. That's right. So uh, I know of no mental health organization that says that sexual orientation is born that way. And um, however, all of the organizations have been hijacked by activists who get themselves on the board and then they control the position statements of the organizations. I watched this happen at the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. I was present at the board meeting because I knew they were going to discuss it, and I testified before they had their discussion, but then I had to remain silent thereafter. So what happened is that a gay man got on the board. He told them that they should have a, a position statement that nobody on their website could say they, they offer change-allowing therapy. The um, chief counsel for the organization said they'd never had anybody say that they did that, and they never had any complaints about someone who did change-allowing therapy. So, of course, this urgently needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the motive was ideological to influence people's beliefs. So the rest of the board members looked at him and said, well, gee, I don't know anything about that. In fact, they didn't know a difference between an orientation and a gender identity. <laughs> but you're gay, so you must be an authority. You must know about this. He never referred to research. Mm-hmm. He just told them it was harmful, and they just believed him. And then they, they voted to do that. This is how it's done. Do not be impressed by the statements of professional organizations. They've gone around to all the organizations. It was their strategy, it was was strategic to go around to all of them, get all of them to sign on to uh, opposition. That's all it means. It's being offered in legislative hearings that what mainstream professional organizations, their position is science, is scientific evidence. No, it's not scientific evidence. It's emotional and it's story based. And this is what we saw in Obergefell versus Hodges, which legalized, quote unquote, across the nation, quote unquote, same sex marriage. It was emotional testimonies with no scientific evidence that backed it up. And I think that this is the problem that we face as a society right now, why we talk about these issues on trending so often is because we are living at a time where we may recognize, you know what? Same-sex attraction is harmful for a person. We might experience gender identity disorder is really pointing to an underlying cause. But suddenly we have a family member or a friend who identifies that way. We hear their story and suddenly that story is law. And we're now pushing for an agenda within our homes, within our schools, where we're trying to be too sentimental and too nice about the issue. When in reality, we want to be nice about the issue, but we want to be truthful. Right. So the stories that they tell at legislative hearings are witch hunt stories. Mm. I, I never cease to be amazed to uh, the things I learned that I did in therapy that I had no idea I did. <laughs> and the creativity is endless. I really think some of them must have sat in a back room somewhere. And when they came up with their story, they must have had a big laugh. Wow. But um, and these are things they try to call. Um, sorry. Sorry. 
not what did what did they call it conversion therapy that they yes. try to claim this is conversion therapy you see the videos anti-conversion therapy i don't think you ever claim to do conversion therapy you believe that people can change well who knows what conversion therapy is it's never defined so they can yeah. throw anything into it. it's like the kitchen sink you can throw anything into you want to make it look bad so um if the, you know if some of these stories ever did actually happen to people they are not representative of what we do Mm-hmm. They don't come to us and ask us what we do. They don't talk to us. Mm-hmm. How do they know what we do? Um, they don't do research with people who've actually had the therapy. There is one study that's being used, and it says that um, they study people who identify as LGBT and go to LGBT clubs and organizations. People who change don't go to those places. Right. So they don't find people who changed well, also, we were talking about this on the phone the other day. People who have changed probably don't want others to know their story. They've lived this lifestyle. They fought to really orient themselves, maybe according to their faith, according to their biological reality. They don't need to live with giving their testimony to the world. Their goal was to live an ordinary life. And so we have tons of people who aren't coming out sharing their stories because they don't want to be in the front of everyone. Well, often when people change, they may move to a different neighborhood. Now they are married, maybe, to someone of the opposite sex, and they have children. And they really don't want to go into this. Maybe they don't want to share it with their children. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it takes a lot of courage to come out. But I want to tell you there are people people with a lot of courage who are coming out and telling their stories. There is a changed movement. There are people who are having uh, uh, rainbow crossers marches. Rainbow crossers. Around the world. There was (laughs) just one in Taipei. And uh, they're organizing around the world, across Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, in Asia, We've seen it in the United States, yeah. Yes, in the United States. They're coming out and giving their testimonies. Very, very courageous. We're so proud of them. That's incredible. Can you tell a story, share a story with us from something you have seen? Yes, I'll share a story of one of these activists who's given their testimony on YouTube. It was a colleague of mine, co-worker with me, um, not a therapist, but an activist. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a gentle, kind man. Um, he may come across as a little less masculine than some men. Um, but he is, he is a man. I mean, it doesn't mean he isn't a man, but I mean, just as far as culture stereotypes go, maybe a little, little less he-man type, Okay. <laughs> And in school, the other students noticed that. And he was bullied by the other boys. He was not chosen to be on their sports teams. And they would say, you're so gay. And they rejected him. And he did not have the experience of belonging in the boys club. But he liked girls. He wasn't gay. He liked girls at that point. In fact, he asked a girl out. And he went to pick her up for the date, and she said, "Uh, well, please wait here in the living for a minute. I'll I'll be right back. And she came back with some other girls. They cornered him in the room, and they bullied him and said, you're so gay. Would you think I'd really want to go out with you on a date? And when he told his parents the story, he was shamed for crying, so devastated by it. And he really was convinced at that point that he wasn't good enough for any woman to want him. Ultimately, as a young adult, he went to the LGBT community, the only place where he was accepted, and experimented with same-sex behavior, and got into a relationship with a man. 
in a relationship with a man. They signed a three-year lease together in a, an expensive, beautiful apartment. But then the other guy started having relationships with other men. They, they broke up, and he was he had to watch this guy bring in other men for three years. Mm. Um, well, through all that, he went on a journey, <laughs> a spiritual journey with God, and did some in, internal work, some work with his wounds, his injuries, and he found a lot of healing and found his way back. He's now married, has children. He's a lovely father, very loving with his family. And um, this has a happy ending. He's now out telling his story. That's incredible. That's Dr. Laura Haynes. She is doing incredible work nationally and internationally, testifying before religious, um, sorry, not religious hearings, but political hearings across the nation um, before legislative hearings. She is doing the groundwork in research to emphasize that we should be free to change. We should be free to orient ourselves according to our biological reality, our religion, and more. So please don't miss the next episode of Trending. Dr. Laura Haynes will be with us to dive into what we can do and get involved in the activism to counter this sexual identity that is becoming such an ideology, eating away at schools and even religions. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 